Welcome back. Welcome to another episode of the Guys Telling Stories podcast. I'm Rich Douglas. I'm Bill Easton. And I'm Sean. Hey, Rich. Hey. Are you ready? I'm ready, man. I'm ready. It's it's football season. Are you ready? Oh, I'm ready. Are you ready for some football? Oh, I know. I love football season. I love fantasy football. And we have a fantastic guest today, Christopher Harris, who we're going to talk to. And he kind of lives in that world. And he, he really knows his stuff. He's an expert. Yes, he is. But before we get to that, guys, just want to encourage you to... Follow us online. If you haven't been over to our Facebook page, give us a little like over there. We also have an amazing Twitter page, and we're on Instagram and Snapchat as well. So please take a moment to head on over to our pages and you know follow us on social media. And as always, head over to guystellingstories.com. we got a lot to see, a lot to do, a lot to click on. One of the newest things we got going on, pretty exciting, it's Amazon Prime Music. Your music collection just got a lot bigger. Over 1 million Prime songs... Some great features include no interruptions, unlimited skips, no ads, really everything you want from a music library without any of the uh, annoyances. So head over to guystellingstories.com, click the Amazon Prime Music banner, and get a free 30-day trial. Yeah, it's free. Uh, If you don't like it, you cancel. It doesn't cost you a thing. And if you click on it, we get a cut of that. Believe it or not, it actually comes with a free 30-day trial. Amazon Prime membership. So you also get access to all Amazon Prime video has to offer and free two-day shipping on Amazon purchases. Yeah, so check that out over on our website. And as always, too, when you shop on Amazon, think guys telling stories first and click on our Amazon link. Rich, I'm excited about my Try at Home. By the way, for those of you that don't know, Try at Home is just simple products that we have purchased on Amazon and use in our daily, weekly, monthly lives. Yeah, and if you want to check them out, we put up some cool videos, some memes, some pictures, and you can click on the Try at Home tab, and if you like what you see, we get a cut of that. That's true. Rich, you got to go first. Our guest today, Christopher Harris, he has a new novel coming out, War on Sound. And, you know, writing a book is not an easy process. I was thinking maybe for my Try at Home, we could try to help him out, maybe get him on that Amazon bestseller list. So what we'll do is I'll put a link to Christopher Harris's book, War on Sound, and you can pre-order it. Or if you're listening to this later, you can order it right from Amazon. And I think that's something that'd be kind of cool for fans of Christopher Harris and uh, just uh, people that like to read books. So, so it's a future Try at Home. Yeah. So head to our website. Check out Try It Home and click on the War on Sound tab for Christopher Harris's new book. And when you're done with that, for your fantasy football draft, click on the remote-controlled fart machine. <laughs> what? Some, you've all, uh, for those of you that do fantasy football drafts, you know there's always a guy that takes it way too seriously. It takes the full amount of time to make a pick, and the picks are ridiculous. This is perfect because it just... It at least makes everybody happy when you have this remote control fart machine. You just kind of duct tape it to the bottom of his seat. And as he moves around or gets up for picks, you just, you just make a little different noise. Oh, this is great. Yeah, I bet you if you do it to that guy, Bill, at your fantasy draft, we're probably going to take him to like round four or five we'll just to figure I out hope so. You know who it is and where it's coming from. Oh, I love it. That was a great try at home. It's under 20 bucks, Rich. <laughs> Why would you not spend that $20 on a remote control fart machine? All right. Okay, let's get to our guest today, Christopher Harris. Bill, I gotta say, I'm a little, I'm a little nervous. Oh, come on! He's just fancy football. We get fancy football talk with this guy. You know, this is one of our first podcaster interviews. Chris has his own Harris Football podcast, and I started listening to it about a year ago. He is a he's a smart guy. He uses a lot of big words. Big words get me in trouble. So uh, at least you're, <laughs> well, you, you, have a, you have a little advantage here. I, I mean, I Your was, words are bigger. I was an English major. I know big words, but uh, you know, he, he has a... He Come has, on, it's football. He'll be fine. I hope so. I hope so. You know, one of the stories I'm hoping he can share with us, too, is about a year ago, he left the worldwide leader of sports, ESPN, and he started his own fantasy football podcast and website, Harris Football, and then... I think, hopefully we get into this too, he has a new podcast called uh, The Juggernaut Podcast, and that's more of like a cultural one where he's you know, interviewing everybody from writers, film directors, uh, musicians, and you know, it's just there's so many stories to tell. I, uh, I'm pretty excited Good. <laughs> to talk to him. I just, well, uh, are you okay? You going to make it? Yeah, I'm, I'll be okay. He, uh, uh, I'm just a little nervous. Ah, you'll be fine. 
All right, guys. Well, let's uh, let's do this then. Let's give Chris a call. Chris, welcome to the show. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on. Cool. Great to have you. All right, Chris. Well, hey, we always like to ask people like to bring us back to the beginning. Where where are you originally from? I'm from suburban Boston. Okay. So okay. I'm not done about an hour and a half. Right now, I live about an hour and a half west of where... I grew up. Uh, however, I've taken a circuitous route to come back to this, to this, <laughs> to the Bay State. Oh yeah, I, I hope we get into that because there's lots of stories to tell. I'm sure, but uh, you know, growing up, were your parents into? I guess you know, obviously, <laughs> probably not fantasy sports, but you know, what was life like growing up? Definitely sports focused. You know, like all families, there's always tension and conflict or whatever. But it always seemed like me and my sister and my two parents could always. Uh, you know, sort of gather around the television set and be into our our sports teams. I have very fond memories of, uh, you know, Boston Celtic playoff games. Being a young kid, and you know, somebody would decide that it would be bad move, bad bad luck if my sister moved to go to the bathroom, so she would have to sit there and hold it in <laughs> until they didn't score on a possession or something. But uh, pretty sports focused. And then, yeah, as a writer, so my mom was a buyer. Uh, when I was a kid for a, a long departed bookstore chain, chain, she bought all the paperback books for this regional chain in New England. Oh, cool. And as part of that job, she would get proof copies and advance copies of tons of novels. So I remember very elaborately like coming home and finding – uh, you know, being psyched to look in the mail and there would always be these wrapped in brown cardboard paper uh, – and sort of power stapled together, there would be these these books, you know, it'd be a new Philip Roth novel or a new Saul Bellow novel or a new, you know, whatever. Yeah. And uh, a, a lot of bad ones too. But, you know, I just got sort of got fell in love with books that way, I think. Some of those uh, some of those books are, are proof copies especially are worth a good amount of money if, if, if you know, yeah, they, went, uh, they went big or, or sold a lot, you know, if those are still around. Just, yeah, I think they're gone. I think long, that, long since gone. They probably didn't make it past like grad, my graduating high school. Pawn Stars. <laughs> I watch. I watch a lot of Pawn Stars. Yeah. So it's... You know, for me, when I was sitting around with the family, um, you know, with some of those earlier sports memories, I remember specifically it was we're, we're recording out of Buffalo, New York, and the Bills were going to their first Super Bowl. Very very famous or infamous Super Bowl. You were alive? I was alive, yeah. <laughs> well, my family got a, uh, a VCR for, for Christmas, so I was in charge of recording the game, and I didn't know about, and you probably remember this, uh, Chris, the, the different like recording speeds you could press. So it was like a two-hour film, a four-hour film, a six-hour film. You could record you know, a different quality. I, I don't know. I was, I was a kid. And I remember trying to record the Super Bowl and it taking about eight different VCR tapes. And my dad kept yelling at me going, what are you doing wrong? Just press record, stick the tape in. And by the end of the game, he didn't care whether we had it taped no, or not, no you know, with wide right and everything. But uh, it was definitely one of those uh, sports memories growing up. What, what about you, Bill? Did you, uh, was it football for you? Was there a particular sport that you recall? I'll do the same, the same Super Bowl game. Uh, I was at a local community college um, studying school, and they had a big screen TV that we had access to. And we're, we're underage, so we were trying to do something a little bit different. So we uh, took the big screen to Subway. And okay. set it up, and the guy we became friends with the guy over over the years before, and he goes, "Yeah, I got no way to watch the game. If you guys bring in a TV, <laughs> you guys eat for free during the game." So I bought him. I brought this giant big screen over, and we set it up at Subway and brought in wine coolers. It was great. What a cool, uh, what a cool memory. Again, I wish the game would have turned out different. Is Chris God. here? Did we lose Chris? No, Chris is you're still here, Chris. Yeah, <laughs> I am. Did you play football? I did in high school for a little bit, and then it. Yeah, you know, it wasn't really my crowd. I pl- I wound up playing tennis throughout high school. That was much more my crowd. Uh, played played a little bit of basketball. Like was on the freshman team of basketball. Was on f- a couple years worth of football. But you know, I liked the game, and I didn't so much like the people who played the game. Yeah, <laughs> just a lot, kind of a lot of knuckleheads. So uh, I I felt like I sort of found my people with uh, with the tennis team, and so I played that throughout. You know, all the way through. Decent tennis player. Yeah, I think I was okay. I think I was pretty good. Um, and we were good. We, I think we made like semifinals of states one year, my senior year. And, um, and, I, and then I, I went off to school and uh, discovered hockey and became a hockey goalie all through college. Oh, wow. Good for you. Yeah. A goalie. How do you just become a goalie? 
<laughs> like there's well, flexibility I mean, and <laughs> I'm a pretty good athlete, but okay. I, and I, and I think mostly though, uh, it was, so there was Cornell. So I know a little bit about upstate New York Yeah, and, uh, very, very good PE there. Very good physical education programs. You can kind of do, you can find almost anything. And they have like, as long as you take two semesters of PE at, or I don't know at the time, uh, then it could be pretty much whatever you wanted. Like I took rec golf. As long as you played like <laughs> nine holes of golf on the university golf course, like ten times in a semester, you're good. You passed. That's awesome. Um, and and they had hockey, and so I remember just one day going in the first day of rec hockey for for a class, and they had the old old goalie pad sitting there, and everyone was like, "Well, we need two goalies, or we can't have a class." And eventually, I was like, "All right, well," I, <laughs> and it turned out I was pretty good at it. Good moving ahead a little bit in time, you know, kind of take us back to college a little bit. What's your background there in terms of journalism, fantasy sports, uh, writing, a little bit of everything? So let's see. I mean, I played, I played fantasy sports all through probably, you know, junior high and high school, certainly at least high school. And we played, you know, tried, it was a good way to stay in touch. So I played, so I played throughout, I've played forever. I was, I you know, there wasn't such a thing as a person who did that for a living. So Absolutely no, of course, not. No, yeah. Thinking about that. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not a, I have no journalism background. I do not proclaim to have a journalism background. I, I the, the, the typical re- reporter tasks, the things that reporters have to do make me sick. Uh, I would never, ever want to have to talk to athletes for a living. <laughs> Here goes, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't necessarily like have intrinsic contempt for athletes at all. I think they're just sort of you know, not that interesting as, um, as intellectual creatures. I've definitely at, e- at my time, I had ESPN for eight years. I certainly met some who I felt otherwise about, but I'll, mostly I did not. Yeah. The majority. And, uh, and so ha- having to like suck up to them and to get the good quotes to be their pal, to be, that just feels like the worst thing in the world. And, um, you know, I'm much more a sort of go off on my own and write a lot of stuff in a closet somewhere, you know, f- secretly, write a novel when no one's looking kind of guy so i always wanted to be a fiction writer i didn't have the courage of my convictions to study that undergraduate i was a economics and political science major okay and i wound up getting an mba like one year out of school and then i went back to the university of texas and got an mba um obviously not exactly being true to my uh to my wishes to be a fiction writer they're you know you just I'm writing literary fiction. I'm not going to make a living at it. At least not a living that I want to make, you know, where I can actually eat food and stuff. <laughs> so it's all well and good. I'm not so I'm not sad that I wasn't an English major even though I feel like I've made up for it by reading a lot since then and you know and kind of being fairly well versed and a pretty good writer, but uh I certainly was more of a generalist than a specificist, I guess. So Texas, um I'm going to Texas for a football game this fall for the first time. Yeah, uh, ever. I'm, I went to West Virginia, so I'm going on a, on a road trip, and I'm, I'm pretty psyched about it. You know, West Virginia has been a pretty decent, I would say, a B average football team for the last twenty or thirty years. They've never really peaked anywhere um, special. Had a chance to go to a national championship, but lost a uh, lost the backyard brawl to Pitt uh, Thanksgiving weekend to knock us out of that. Um, and you know the road trips have been like Cincinnati and Syracuse and Rutgers, and so I'm I'm pretty excited for this. Um, I've been to a big big away games for neutral sites, uh, like bowl games and things, but this is like a really true road game. I'm assuming you you've been to Texas football games, home games for you when you were down there. I have, yeah. I lived in Austin for five years, uh, two of it for business school, and then three after. Yeah, big big UT fan. I spend time in Austin when I can. I still have a lot, probably my best friends in the world live in Austin. Um, and I, yeah, love, love UT sports and, uh, went to basketball games this winter. You know, it was the first shock mm-hmm. a year. That was fun. The football games are something else, you know, it's a lot of people and they're a lot of burnt orange and, uh, pretty fun. Hopefully you go on a day that's not like blisteringly hot because it can be really hot. It's mid November. So, uh, hopefully like I said, hopefully you go. Yeah. Like I I said, hopefully you go on a day that isn't (laughs) blisteringly hot. It probably won't be, but who knows? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's great. It's fun. Well, Chris, you know, you mentioned you have like a long story in terms of getting to where you're at today. I can't wait to get to talking about Harris football. But one of, some of the guests we have on the show are in the startup world, entrepreneurs. Um, did I hear you had a little experience with that before your time at ESPN? I did. I um, at, Right out of business school, my buddy Doug and I started a company that did a few different things. 
sort of like web related stuff and you know this is nascency of the web and uh well, i would say you know we gave it a, a, a good college try but i know he was a little bit older than i and he i'm sure rolled his eyes at me constantly because i was you know young and full of piss and vinegar but uh <laughs> you know we we made a living for a few years but i wouldn't say we were a big old success and basically i got after the end of that five years i got to the point where i couldn't handle the heat in texas anymore and that was where he was going to be and so no i went back to massachusetts i couldn't i couldn't do it and uh and then i wound up be i wound up working for some small companies i was a creative director for a small ad agency i was a like a i was like number 3 like a producer at a at a web.com startup kind of thing um so definitely had had boards of director that i had to give reports to and you know and clients that i had to schmooze and make sure we're happy and definitely have done the the small business thing before. And, you know, when I, when I basically, I, I never really intended to leave small business. Mostly I just decided that I never wanted to have a real job ever again. <laughs> <laughs> What's that, uh, interesting is that hopefully there's an interesting like courting process to get you to a job mm-hmm. like ESPN, you know, like how do you go from being back in Massachusetts to working for the worldwide leader of sports? Yeah. So, okay. I, then I went back to school again. Basically the, the point at which I decided no more real jobs for me, uh, I went back to school again. And this was for an MFA in creative writing, in fiction writing. Oh, so nice. I'm one of those very common dual threat MBAs, <laughs> MFA in creative writing. Um, oh, finally, not another one. You know, I know. Finally feeling as though, you know, I, I always knew I wanted to be a fiction writer. What the heck? I don't really like real jobs. Uh, University of Massachusetts will pay me to, you know, to go to school pay me via a teaching assistantship. It's, it's a slave wage, but at least it's money. Right. Right. And, uh, so I did that. I went back to school and I figured it, it beats working and I'll figure something out. And, and it was really, um, it was the moment of my life that I feel like was the biggest leap of faith, uh, that I've ever really made where it was scary as hell. And I felt like it was kind of objectively stupid, but, you know, how bad could things really get? I have, thank heavens, I have a, you know, a great family support structure. I have wonderful parents. If things ever got so bad, you know, I could, I could rely on them to like save me from starvation. And so, awesome. okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go back to school. So I did, I went back to school, had a very, very good experience. Um, of course, the whole time, you know, there's a saying in the MFA world that they don't, they call it a terminal degrees, a degree for a reason. <laughs> Uh, which is that there's, you know, there's really no, nowhere to go from there. And yeah. so I was finishing up and I had written a collection of short stories for my thesis and was lucky enough to get a few of those published. Great. But again, you're not making any money doing any of that. And I'd had some freelance stuff bought on the web and in print and great. But again, you're not making real money doing that. And uh, Matthew Berry had left Roto World and started his own thing called TalentedMrRoto.com. Okay, and they... Yeah. They had a contest to become one of their writers, and the the prize of this contest was, congratulations, we'll pay you no money, and you can give, do work for us for nothing. <laughs> <laughs> sounds like an it sounds like an awesome contest. Not so great. Wait, but, uh, how do well, we do fun. this? Because I I want to I want to start this. <laughs> right. Well, it's fine, but it's it was definitely their way. You know, they're they're a little startup. They're not really making any money, True. but they're they're uh, interested in basically having more content. And uh, I won this contest. Just by submitting some some spec articles, I'd literally never written a word about fantasy football, but clearly had been writing all my life. And yeah. you know, just to take a little detour, like I get so many emails from people about how do how do I get where you are, or how do I become a writer, and all that stuff. And and I it's I, it feels like the biggest cliche in the world, but you have to get a thousand pages of bad writing under your odometer. You can't just snap your fingers. You have to read everything, and you have to write so much. And I will say I you know this this happened like 2006 or 7 or something like that and obviously that was awesome timing extraordinarily lucky right to have had this happen right at the moment that the fantasy world was going boom right yeah. but I do feel like luck is the residue of design in a, in a small way in that I was ready because I had been writing. I mean, I had written a lot of bad stuff. I'd written novels that I look back on now that are terrible and I never did anything with. I've written you know, tons of short fiction. I'd written tons of nonfiction short pieces. And so I was at least ready to write a good piece when I went to win that contest. And 
So I wound up being a writer for them for probably about six months. Uh, Yahoo saw my stuff there, and they hired me to do the same thing for them, except they'll pay me. Nice. <laughs> that was good. Finally, high five, right? <laughs> right. And then Barry left to go to ESPN, and he said, hey, if you can get out of Yahoo, we'll pay you more money, and we'll put you on TV. And I was like, I mean, okay, cool. Sure. So there you had it, and that's how I wound up getting getting in. I don't know if that's a good enough story, but... Oh, no, you <laughs> no, know, it's such no a cool stories. story because I'm thinking of, you know, even me, like right now, I don't know if I would want to be on TV, you know? I would need to lose about 20, <laughs> 25 pounds. Fortunately, I am an incredible <laughs> specimen of masculinity, so we're good. We have a picture of you here, and it's funny, when we do this, we normally record... Uh, you know, we, we'll go somewhere, we'll record in a bar, and we'll sit down with whoever we're, we're meeting with, and we'll drive a ways to do it. Obviously, you're a little further. So we put it, we have a picture, and I believe <laughs> it's from it's from one of your websites. And, it, and it's just, the reason I asked you if you were a football player in the beginning is because it's like a half-hearted smile, but I'm going to kill you smile. <laughs> and there's these, like, lines in your the side of your forehead that, that also speak, I'm going to kill you. And, but you're dressed well, and you know you're. It's not a bad picture. I, I'm not trying to make fun of the picture. It's just you look very serious, and and uh, and I am. I'm I'm an extraordinarily serious person. Okay, so that's <laughs> <laughs> that's the picture. So we do have a picture of you. So I'm looking at it now, and I'm just like, yeah. Anybody listening? I'm out there. I'm on the public record. Okay. <laughs> Well, Chris, I think most people probably are going to recognize you from your time at ESPN almost a decade, and then you transition away from that to start something brand new, your own Harris football. And I think, you know, hearing just about the first couple steps with that, I mean, it seemed to happen so fast because you, you know, were writing stories less than a year ago that were, I was reading, you know, for fantasy football on ESPN. And then all of a sudden I hear there's a new podcast and I download it and it's not just, you know, once a week or, you know, you're just trying this thing out. It seemed like you hit it with a full head of steam in the sense like pedal to the metal. Um, You know, was there a story about transitioning away from ESPN to create Harris football? Oh yeah. (laughs) It's a good story. I mean, it's a, it's a happy story in that I think everybody likes everybody. So there's no ill will or anything. Talent contracts at any network like that are, of a certain fixed length, right? And so uh, you're on a three-year deal, you're on a one-year deal, you're on a two-year deal. So my deal was up last summer, last July, which uh, the reason, I mean, it's terrible timing for a football writer to have your contract, actually it was in, early in August. It was yeah. early in August that the contract ended, right? Which is terrible timing for a football writer. But the reason that had happened is that I had been courted by the NFL Network a few years before and ESPN had, to, to keep me, had redone my deal. So it was right that had happened right in August, so that was when these things are a year long. So it just so happened, you know, kind of unfortunately for both parties, uh, we were going to have to do this negotiation. We have to figure everything out in August. And the truth is that that last year at ESPN, while they're really good to me, and I have a lot of friends there, and especially everybody on the digital side, just really nice and professional and cool and understanding. And I really do like the group very much. Um, I was burned out on them. You know, I feel like they probably sensed it too. And, you know, I, I felt like as we were talking and they, they made an offer and listen, it's stupid money. It's too much money to do this for a living, right? What they were offering. (laughs) The idea that I turned it down is ludicrous and makes a lot of people mad. Right. You know, (laughs) are you insane? And I did wind up turning it down though. And I had a conversation with my editor and he was like, can I, can I get you more money? Like we had negotiated this, right? And he said, okay, but I want you to stay. So can I get you more money? And I was like, no, I honestly, it's not really about that. I felt stagnated. I felt like every season was sort of Groundhog's Day. You know, you were kind of doing the same tasks every single year and nothing was really changing much. And so it it didn't become like, it became what the hell am I going to do? Yeah, but uh, like pretty, pretty quickly. Because like you said, it's the quickly. worst possible timing. If you wanted to, like most people, take a couple of months off, get yeah. your affairs in order, maybe go travel a little bit, you missed this whole season. So instead, I, I get a little notification that you have this brand new brand going immediately. So I, for the people that are familiar with that, your fan support is off the charts in terms of the Kickstarter program, which I'm sure we'll get to soon. You know, But was there a couple of events that little like ducks in a row you had to get done within a two-week time period? I'm sure there were. I mean, you know, yeah. a website so, for one, right? <laughs> right. But I, so I will, 
I will say, I got, I got, I hung up the phone with ESPN, having said I'm not coming back, and I did not think, oh, good, here comes my chance to build my empire on my own. <laughs> right? What I said was, I don't know what I'm going to do with the rest of my life. However, I do have all of this 2015 football knowledge in my head because I'd written their preview magazine and I'd written a lot, a lot of the columns that you were talking about. Like I had it all in my noggin the way I always would entering any football season. And one frustration at ESPN was I was just never going to get to do a daily podcast. I had a podcast there that was two days a week and it was fun, but it wasn't enough. And the fans were regularly saying, this isn't enough. You know, the, sh the show just isn't long enough mm -hmm. to say everything that you need to say. And it's not the format that you want. And, you know, so what I decided was, all right, I have all this knowledge in my head and I had in the back of my mind, it was a bummer that I'd never gotten to do, to do a daily podcast. And I, th I said, all right, well, what else am I going to do? I might as well start this show and just see what happens. And then by January... I'll figure out what I'm going to do with the rest of my life. Because why waste what's in my head, right? Why why waste the yeah good order? attitude. But yeah, you knowledge. you could have been one of the guys on the FanDuel commercials <laughs> with the big checks. <laughs> I could have, I could have. just play um, FanDuel. Yeah. So then, you know, yes, there were as soon as I made that decision, there were so many ducks to get in a row. It was, you know, I got help on a website. I got help uh, from my buddy Bill Childs, who's amazing. He helped me with. Uh, learning all the stuff about the production. Cause I never did any production on a podcast. I just was hooked on it. You know, I was a microphone and I talked into it and my voice went somewhere and I didn't pay attention to where. Right. And, uh, and other people who I'm forgetting, you know, I got tons of support from friends and, uh, you know, fortunately had this big Twitter following from ESPN. It was, you know, whatever, a hundred thousand followers. And, uh, I, I, made a first show and I put it out there and you know, the only way it was ever going to work was going to be as a daily podcast. I knew that like, cause that, that was the thing that was, I had not done previously. I didn't know how to get ads. I did honestly so much needed to be lined up. So many ducks. It was a gaggle of ducks. <laughs> That's what's the, what's the, what's the uh, group of ducks? Uh, what's gander, right? Plethora. Plethora. Um, no, it's three amigos. I get asked the hundred size duck questions a lot, by the way, <laughs> a lot of people. So, yeah, I mean, I, I did it all and I, you know, essentially what it was like, I thought, okay, I'm going to be doing this show every day for four months or five months. And my nightmare was, you know, November 23rd would come around and 837 people are listening to the show. So it's been a failure, but that's okay. But I was, you know, I was prepared to be doing something else in January, but at least, you know, I was going to have to do the show for the last six weeks of the season knowing it wasn't going anywhere and yeah. what a bummer that was going to be. Right, and yeah. I had lots of anxiety about that. And instead, I mean, it went crazy right away. I mean, it went crazy. You know, I was talking with an ad broker and they were like, well, listen, if you get to this level of listens, that's when we can start selling your ads because people, you know, that companies want a certain number of impressions or else it's not worth their while. And you know, within a week, they were like, okay, so we're bumping up the impressions to 30,000 a show. <laughs> and suddenly it became real money and suddenly it became, yeah, it's absolutely crazy that this happened. And I'm so grateful. Like you said, the fan base, I mean, turned out to be the MVPs in this whole situation. Oh, absolutely. For for those who aren't familiar with Chris and his fans, he has run a successful Kickstarter campaign recently. They make uh, mixtape tribute songs that they send into him, create fan-created Twitter accounts, then tweet as uh, objects, ideas, <laughs> concepts. They must have the same picture we do. When, you, descri when you describe it, it doesn't that sound that tape. sane. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't really sound that sane when you describe it like in the abstract, but in the it's actually really fun. <laughs> well, yeah, because you know you want that feedback for someone to go after his dream or to go after something with the idea of let's see how this goes and to have it blow up. One of the ways it blows up, of course, is maybe you can support yourself financially, but even if you were getting this fan response and the money wasn't rolling, and I'm sure you would have considered maybe still doing something like this because it's independent. It's yours. You own it. And that's something similar to your, your writing, basically, that you could kind of have ownership and celebrate for years to come. I mean, it's, it's a really cool thing that you have, have going and it's, it's less than a year old. And, 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 right. and certainly I 100% agree that of all the benefits that I'm getting out of this past year, finance is great, but it's not the primary. I totally agree. Yeah. 
You know, uh, one of the things we can touch on, too, is you're, you know, an accomplished author. It's not easy to get a book uh, written, let alone published or distribute. I know you have a couple already on the shelf and you have a, a new one coming. Is there anything you want to talk about in terms of that new book coming out? It's called War on Sound, and it's a it's a it's a it's my big important novel about the death of rock. It's about a band, basically, kind of a contemporary to us right now, rock band of much younger people than myself who still have rock dreams and who are finding a world that uh, no longer exactly endorses or supports rock dreams. That is not the style of music that is in vogue and not you know making anybody any money anymore, really, unless you're the Foo Fighters. So. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's it's a it's a story about this band basically, and and I think it's I think it's fun, but I you know it's it's also a lament about kind of where we are in terms of music. It's not my favorite time for music ever. So it seems like um, a lot of the stuff that you've done, especially recently, you have you know been been pretty successful. Was was there any any failures along the way that you want to mention, or uh, any anything that happened that was discouraging you to get to this point? I mean, you know, I would say from a from a late career, you know, where I am in my career now for the last decade or whatever since since MFA school, it's been amazingly failure free and amazing and and I'm so lucky. Like I recognize that good fortune in terms of timing. Like listen, I get it. You know, I'm not going to be I'm not going to be the one who says no, this is because of I pulled myself up on my bootstraps. You know, mm-hmm. there's probably some of that, but a lot of it is just right place, right time, right opportunity. And that has been awesome. You know, early my in my twenties, definitely like our our startup out of business school was. I wouldn't say if we learned a lot, but we didn't really make an, enough money to be grownups. You know, it, yeah. it, it was sort of like eh, we did okay. You know, um, and and the thing that I have the thickest skin from, and I'll probably say the thin actually the thinnest skin from because it's not any thicker than it used to be is the fiction world is awful. You know, if there's any fiction writers who are listening, like, I feel your pain. It's awful. And, like, getting a – especially for writing literary fiction, it's all you hear is rejection. All you hear is no. Um, the publishing industry just changed after the financial crisis, and there are no more deals for literary fiction unless you have, you know, a, a giant, giant following. And I have a giant following for something else, and even that really doesn't get me in the door. I have friends who are editors at Random House or at the big publishers and they like my work and they are psyched when they get my books, but they ain't buying them because <laughs> yeah. they just know they have international, you know, multinational overlords who look at the b- bottom line and they say, why are you wasting your time on this book? That's going to sell 5,000 copies. Like that's not what we need. We, whereas previously you, you know, I, I I'm pining for the old days, but there's a lot of parallels between trying to be a rock musician now and trying to be a literary novelist now because there were previous days where all you needed was a guitar and a song and a dream and you could legitimately lay claim to maybe making a million dollars. Similarly with a literary novel, if you hit it at the right place at the right time, you know, you could sell a lot of copies. It's just not going to happen. So spell checks so, kind of like auto-tune. <laughs> yeah, maybe if that's the, if we're going <laughs> to... Let's torture a metaphor. Let's torture the metaphor. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I looked at Bill. I was like, I think that's deep, but I'm not sure if that's deep. Uh, but uh, that's where the, that's where my failures... I wouldn't even say failures. I mean, I think in the, you know, in the last, you know, in the last decade or so, I think I've written some really good stuff and I've had a lot of fans tell me they like the books that I write, but it's never going to be, uh, you know, it's funny, Philip Roth writing Portnoy's Complaint. And becoming literary, literally a star, a media star, somebody who is on the cover of Time magazine, somebody who is recognized on the street, novelist being recognized on the street. Like that's that deal's gone, man. Yeah. You know that's that's, that's that's that doesn't exist anymore. I mean, fine, J.K. Rowling, yes. And I'm not trying to say anything bad about Harry Potter, but that's in my mind not that's not what I I aspire to, and like sort of the literary fiction literary novelist probably you know aspires to something beyond that and that just really doesn't exist anymore and it's a hard you sort of it's a hard lesson to learn and you need to learn to do it because you love it and not because there's a ton of gain yeah that's good advice you know looking kind of transitioning back to Harris football a little bit is there anything uh, on the horizon that's currently exciting you you know do you have a vision for yourself in the future for this uh, upcoming you know fantasy football season and give a give a whole like general what is it like to let everyone know exactly what Harris Football is so they can go check it out. Yeah, well, go, HarrisFootball.com is the place where the podcasts live, and the idea 
of the podcast, the the animating force behind it is to get you know to help you win your fantasy league. That's the really the bottom line. I I think my approach to fantasy football tends to be pretty different from what you mostly hear. I, I watch all the games, so I I watch film and I don't really believe in listening to what the coaches or the athletes say because I think we've reached a, we've reached a crossover point in sports culture now where essentially those people are our politicians and you know you don't believe anything politicians say right so right. don't believe anything these people say um, there's there's a lot of misinformation similarly I think there's a lot of bad analysis about the NFL that comes from stats uh, you can you can find stats in the NFL to say anything you want to reinforce whatever point you want to make um, I, I tend to call them crutch arguments. Basically, I have this argument that I'd like to make. Can you give me a ready-made, smart-sounding fact that backs it up? And I feel like that's most of the analysis you get in the fantasy space and really in the NFL space. Um, and, and, you know, whereas in baseball, st- numbers tell us a ton because the interactions tend to be very simple. One pitcher, one batter, very similar rules. You know, it's not a lot of variables. The NFL is crazy. You know, football is just an 11-on-11 sport. Every single play is not replicable. Uh, A a running back playing poorly isn't always the running back's fault, but sometimes it is. And that's where putting in the time and really, like, you know, it's a lot of work to watch all that film. But I feel like that informs what I talk about on the show, and hopefully people are sort of getting to cut through a lot of the nonsense. Does this new focus on analytics and comparing that to, like, general stats, does that help or hinder that argument because obviously anything can happen on any play in football um right you know this guy would have been Um, tackled if this guy didn't step on a golf ball that was thrown out from the crowd and how do you right you know like you know there's an 80 yard run so the stats would show that he averaged 7.3 a carry instead of 2.4 um yeah i mean that that is for sure yards per carry is my that's my bet noir that's the one i I hate the most (laughs) um you know, th- the fact is that we can't – there's no predicting the future in any sport on a play-by-play or even a game-by-game basis, right? That's just all we're, do- all we're trying to come up with is what are the best predictors. And the fact is I really don't believe there are very many analytics in the NFL. I think what we're calling analytics aren't the same equivalent as analytics in baseball just because the the, the game is just so much more complicated and so much different. Mm-hmm. Um you you guys know Pro Football Focus. Yes. And they yeah. they do the thing where they say, okay, Dural Reedus this year was the thirty fifth best corner mm-hmm. by our metrics. And that makes it sound very smart and, and scientific and like we did some analytics here. You know what it is? It's somebody sitting there watching the film, watching Darrell Reedus on every play and grading him positively or negatively on that play. Sounds pretty subjective to me. It yeah. sounds kind of like what I do. I admire the heck out of pro football focus. Turning it into a number for me, I guess it's a way to let's sell a business. It's a business that's doing really well. And, yes, it you is. Know, yeah. it, it, it's a, but I don't feel like it's actually – those numbers don't actually mean all that much. All they mean is that the person watching the film had a good experience watching that particular player – and by the way, it's not the same person watching every player. You know, it's a whole bunch of different film watchers. And so what if somebody else has different standards? And listen, I'm not trying to poke a hole in their methodology. In fact, in the end, I think we share that methodology where you got to lay eyes on it. You're not going to really know in football until you see it because a box score can mean a million different things. And a, and a, a dumb kludgy divided by stat, you know, yards per attempt, yards per like, like you just implied, one play can change someone's yards per carry by a yard, and they suddenly yeah. look like a great player. Um, and so for for me, I don't think what I do is necessarily incongruous with what we would call analytics. I just don't think there really are analytics that are reliable in football the way there are definitely are in baseball. I totally believe in. Batting average on balls in play, absolutely, I believe in that. That's 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 a real thing, you know, and that's very useful for analysis. I believe in OPS, absolutely. I just don't really find it persuasive that there are hard and fast, or at least not very many hard and fast uh, numbers that tell us such things in the NFL. It sounds like you know your stuff, and obviously, you've been doing this for a long, long time. And I think that's why people have been tuning in and, and showing you the support that you have, because you sort of take a, not necessarily a contrarian point of view or just a different point of view, but you have your own, you know, perspective on these types of things. And, um, you know, I think you've been pretty successful with it. And, uh, I know I've been listening since last summer and, and, and I've enjoyed kind of, uh, the, the daily show is Rich, that, did you in your fantasy league? I did. 
I did. There you go. That's it. I did. It was <laughs> That's the, it. It was the first year in six years. Um, and well, to be fair, I don't want the blame when you lose, no, so I'm not going to take the credit that you won. You win. You you get the credit. Oh, it, uh, Chris, I lost. I did not listen. So there you go. Rich listened. He now, won. This year you're going to tie. Hell, no, yeah. Uh, yeah. We're yeah. not even in the same league, so it's we no. both could have won. Um, you know, again, looking ahead, is there is there anything that fans or listeners can be excited about? A vision you have for yourself in the in the near future? Yeah, well, you mentioned the Kickstarter, and that's now over as of the time when people are listening to this. But yes. what it come down what it came down to was for for many years at ESPN, they, they put out a fantasy football preview print magazine, and that's the thing that people buy on the newsstand and carry with them to their draft, and they go down the list and they go, oh look, or you know, they read it on the toilet, right? <laughs> um, study, study. Yeah, let's be real here. Yep, <laughs> right. And I I wrote. All the player profiles for for those for those magazines for many many years, uh, and obviously this year was like the shackles were off. I didn't have to write it; it was so nice. And one frustration really with the process was that that the magazine people just decided this thing's coming out in June, so you got to be done with it in early May, mm-hmm. and so there, you got to write a magazine previewing what's going to happen September seventh in early May. And it yeah. was always maddening. I mean, there was one year where Aaron Hernandez was, had a big old picture, his big old photograph in that magazine. And of course that summer, bad things happened. Yes. Uh, so like it was, it was annoying. And so this time around, just having gone through the NFL draft, uh, and not having to do that was so freaking liberating. However, I said, it, actually, so I was mentioned I was in Austin and I was, uh, you know, I normally live in a pretty small town and especially like Western Mass doesn't tend to be all that sports oriented. So it's not like I ever get recognized or anything like that. But when I'm in Austin, it happens all the time. I'll be at a bar and people go, hey, are you, are you, you know, it'll, it'll happen once a, once a week, twice a week, something like that, cool. which is great. And obviously the main, main reason I do this for a living clearly is, is that, <laughs> um, so, so we did a tweet up. So any, anybody who, who was in Austin, I tweeted, you know, I said, or Facebook, I mentioned on the show, like, let's do a tweet up. Anybody who wants to meet in person, let's do it. I'd like to say thank you in person for listening and blah. So we'd like 30 people show up. It was really fun. And in the course of the conversation, uh, we, uh, I said, yeah, I used to write profiles, but you know, I don't do that anymore. Uh, you know, I, I might do it as part of the business, but I have, you know, it's a lot of work and the idea of putting all that work and then finding out that 12 people want to buy it would be a huge bummer. And Tom Morgan, one of the guys there, I'm giving you a shout out, Tom said, why don't you do a Kickstarter? You can essentially use it as a pre-order. If it funds, if you reach your goal, that will be, you know, whatever minimum amount of money you need to make, to make it worth your while to do the work. Great. And then come fall, you'll sell, you know, come summer, you'll sell more copies too. Like, well, You'll have, once you've exceeded the Kickstarter. So basically, we funded like in two weeks. It was great. It'll be electronic only, so it'll be digital, PDF. And uh, it'll sell just like that magazine sold, except for it'll be a digital version. And it'll be a lot of snark and a pure, unadulterated me. And uh, people can go to harrisfootball.com and find out how to buy it. Are you going to have an <laughs> update on um, Aaron Hernandez? <laughs> I probably am not. I think I think we can close the book on that story. Use the same picture, just put bars in front of it. <laughs> yeah, well, that's one thing. It's n- not oh. being ESPN. I'm not going to have too many player photos in there. But I feel like that kind of goes along with my sense that essentially they're meat that we root for. So mm-hmm. I don't really need to see the pictures of the meat. Go ahead. <laughs> you guys go run around. We don't need to see your picture. Oh, man. Uh, well, Chris, this has been great. You know, we always like to end with final thoughts or any advice. I know you sort of brought it up earlier. You know, if the guy's meeting you in a bar in Austin saying, how can I get into this sort of uh, career or just somebody that maybe wants to uh, do a podcast on whatever they're passionate about, any advice you'd give to somebody who hasn't even started yet but wants to start? Yeah, I do get that email a lot. You know, the I would say the I real I recognize and fully uh, fully endorse the idea that I was lucky. But like I said, I was ready and I had written a whole bunch. And not only that, but when I got a break, even if it was a small little company who wasn't going to pay me any money, um, I was willing to say yes. I was willing to like figure out a way to do it. They weren't going to pay me money, but I was going to write and prove that I could do it to a wider audience. And that's how all this happened. And so I would say my advice, any kind of writing, not just fantasy writing, I mean, is, is do it, you know, you, you should, I'll put it this way. It's hard to be a writer in this world. If you can do something else, go ahead and do it. I can't, 
I can't not write fiction. I would love to not write fiction. Writing fiction is really hard and tends to, you know, isolate you in your room by yourself for hours and hours and hours and you don't see people and, um, you sacrifice a lot to be a writer. Uh, but if you are one of those people who can't not do it, like do it, don't ever stop. Just keep going. You're going to stink at first and you're going to think it's great. And then five years later, you look back and it's going to realize you weren't very good, but it, it, you have to get pages on your odometer. Uh, and then I would say similarly with a podcast, uh, there's no, the barriers to entry are exactly zero. You know what I mean? Like you guys started Mm -hmm. a show, you didn't have a giant Twitter following. I, I started from the upper middle class of podcasting. Let's face (laughs) it. I had a huge Twitter following. You guys were like, this is going to be fun. You know, maybe we're not going to make a million dollars doing it, but we're going to see how it goes and oh, get we will. better at it. We will, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> Give I'm us sure. 240 guys, years. We'll be there. Yeah. Would you guys not agree, though, that you're, that, that the podcasts that you're cranking out now are better than the ones that you did at the very beginning? Definitely. Absolutely, yeah. You know, there was, a, there was that barrier where you were basically afraid to try, and not because you were going to fail, but you always know that first I guess page that first story that first episode isn't gonna That's probably yeah. be that great and yeah. you know with oh you heard it <laughs> but, no I didn't but it is just by the nature of the beast right it is yeah you know but the like you mentioned you have a support system in place maybe it's family and it's friends and you know it, it can even just be some some online followers you know people you are Facebook friends with and you know they show you that love and support to kind of keep it going a little bit and. I think one of the benefits for us is to record in these seasons. We had a little bit of downtime, kind of like a hiatus, and then uh, we can reflect on how we want to make it better. And yeah, most sure. definitely, the um, I think the quality's gone up, and you know the the risks we're willing to take too. You know, just asking you different questions that we've asked we've never asked anybody before, just to kind of see you know what's what's this guy's yeah. story. And uh, sure. and I you know, honestly, I did I really enjoyed hearing it, and I think uh, our listeners and yours as well, if they tune in, they're gonna they're gonna enjoy it too. Yeah. And so that's my, my response is like, be doing it, you know, just be doing it and find out if you like doing it and you will by the nature, not, you know, I'm talking about prospective people who haven't done it yet. Be doing it. Like, just go ahead. You know what it is. You can get a USB mic for $60 and you need your computer and you've got a podcast. That's it. The software is free. Like, you know, go is my thing. Like, so I am actually starting a second podcast. And again, I recognize I am starting from the upper middle class of podcasts. <laughs> oh, I think you're, you're above I, that I, now. You're, yeah, you are starting a lot higher than upper I, middle. Right, I might be. Yeah, one. now I'm starting. I'm starting from the from the from the deluxe deluxe apartment in the sky. Yeah. I guess. Um, but uh, I, I so I, this this one is not going to be football though. So it's going to be much more of a passion project. It's going to be kind of an arts. It's gonna, people can find it at juggernautpod.com. It's going to be called the Juggernaut, and it's going to be arts. It's going to be about books and movies and TV and music, and cool. going to basically an interview show. Going to talk to people either about their art, about their songs, about their books or whatever, or people who are enthusiastic about some an artist of some kind. And you know that's probably not going to make a million dollars, but I know what I'm doing technically and I know what I'm doing on the air. And, and my thing is like, it's been an idea and it's been something since I talk a lot about that stuff on the football show that a lot of listeners have said, I would love to hear you do movie reviews. I would love to hear you talk about your favorite books or whatever. And rather than stew in my juices and say, yeah, that would be interesting. I Mm -hmm. wonder if I could ever make that a thing. I finally just decided, why don't I just make that a thing? And we'll just go from there. Like it, it would be fun to try and then we'll see. And I, again, I recognize my situation right now isn't the same as everybody else's, but I do think there's something to that. And you guys are living proof. You're walking the walk too. Like, it's always going to be more possible to happen and to break big if you actually do it, right? As opposed to sort of just sit around and wish someone would give you the chance. Yeah. No, you gotta you gotta pursue all avenues. I know it's it's interesting that you're trying a new, I guess, genre, and you can set up a schedule. I'm I'm guessing that'll work for you with a show like the Juggernaut. You could. You could re- record weekly if you wanted to, and uh, right. and that could fit. It'll be much with- more like that's right. It'll be much more like weekly or or twice a week or something like that. Which, in by its very nature, as you guys just know from the podcasting business, you know you're only going to make money if you have a lot, a lot of downloads, and you're only going to get a lot, a lot of downloads if you're cranking out a lot, a lot of shows, right? <laughs> and if, mm-hmm. so, if you're only putting out intermediate shows, well, this is much more just for fun, right? But still, who knows where things go? You know, like you that's said, right. you have. Random- 
grand designs on getting a bigger audience and getting you know bigger and better guests and and I would feel the same about my new thing and I'm 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 a big believer in just doing it you know we live in a world now for all my lamenting about the death of rock and the death of literary fiction there certainly isn't the death of entrepreneurial opportunity right the barriers to entry are just so low no not at all one of our our last guests the our last guest of season 1 it was a executive director of a startup program here they call it the earth's largest uh, they give out 5 million dollars so all you, all you need is a business plan and a dream and 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 like you're kind of saying, the willingness to actually try. So, you know, it'd be so interesting to see where you're at in another year. You know what I mean? Because you're coming up on your one year anniversary of starting, you know, Harris football. So uh, I look forward to sort of checking back in with you and seeing, uh, seeing where things are at and how you're doing. Awesome, guys. It was really a pleasure. Of course, you know, if I could talk about myself for an hour, good Lord. I mean, I'm there. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, we always uh, we'll plug it up front with an intro. But can you tell people where to find you online? Of course, it's at Harris Football is is everywhere basically Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. It's all Harris Football. Uh, we'll also have a Twitter account, Juggernaut Pod, for the other podcast. Hopefully, we'll we'll get some folks excited about that project too. Um, if you want to hit me up via email, hey Harris at harrisfootball.com. Chris, thanks again for sharing all your stories with us. This has been a fantastic episode of Guys Telling Stories. Chris, thanks again for doing the show. Thank you for having me very much. All really right. fun. All right. I'm Rich Douglas. I'm Bill Easton. All right, guys. We'll see you next time. Okay. Christopher Harris. Sweet. Yeah. I feel good. <laughs> I, feel, I feel better. I was a little worried in the beginning, but I think that was, uh, that was pretty successful. Good. Yeah. You know, I loved, uh, I loved hearing about his new podcast, actually. That's cool. Yeah. I mean, he was the first podcaster we're kind of talking to that, uh, that does this sort of thing full time. And, and he's already, he has a second one coming out, The Juggernaut. We should talk to more podcasters. Yeah. He's, you know what? And he's a really smart guy. I was right. He, he did use some big, some words, big words. And I, and I don't know what you call a group of ducks. Sean's waving over here. I, I was trying to mouth it to you guys from behind the glass. <laughs> a, a group of ducks, it's, it's, there's variations. When they're in the air in flight, it's a flock of ducks. When they're paddling down you know, a river or stream, it's a raft of ducks. <laughs> and then when they're on the it's ground, ridiculous. believe it or not, it's a brace of ducks. So you got a lot of duck terms you know, floating around. <laughs> that, that's, I told you this is a crazy vocabulary. I, Sean, I listened to what you said, but that one in one ear and out the other. Did you say <laughs> brace? A brace. A brace. A brace of ducks. Like okay. A, like B-R-A-C-E? I think so. Cool. Oh, good to know. Well, I'm feeling pretty good. And guys, this has been another fantastic episode of Guys Telling Stories. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the show. And if you like what you hear, you can give us a review or rate over on iTunes. And you can find us and all our social media on our website at guystellingstories.com. All right. Until next time, I'm Rich Douglas. And I'm Bill Easton. And I'm Sean. All right.